0: One.
1: God gave me a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari too. When God made you,
2: He had all the options put on. You are fully loaded and totally equipped. So do this with me. Where did we ever come up with the style of preaching we have today? There is some entertaining preaching, but not convicting preaching, and the legacy has been
0: tragic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
3: You be the judge. You want answers?
0: I think I'm entitled. You want
1: answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Order in the court. This is Wretched Radio. Prepare to be the judge of the fiducia supplicants. That's right. I just, I just went ahead and said it right out loud, and you don't have to wash out my mouth with soap. It's a Latin phrase of a document that was issued by the Vatican about a month ago causing no small amount of uproar. Now they are coming out with the Decasterium Pro Doctrina Fide. Oh, Jimmy, how many of those have we written around here? The Decasterium Pro Doctrina Fide, which is intended to explain the original proclamation in the Fiducia Supplicants, that it is okay for a local Roman Catholic priest to quote, bless couples in irregular situations And same-sex couples, huh, that's interesting. What's the difference between irregular situations and same-sex couples? Well, I think irregular situations would be people who, for instance, are now married, but they were formerly divorced. It wasn't uh, deemed a play (laughs) by the Roman Catholic Church. (laughs) Which is exactly what an annulment is. It is a seal of approval from the Roman Catholic Church that says, Yeah, that thing that you did like 20 years ago with all of the people gathered when she was wearing a white dress and he had a tuxedo and you exchanged vows. Yeah, that that didn't actually happen. And they were they were merely cohabitating for 20 years. Therefore you can get remarried. Well, if you didn't get yourself one of them, their annulments, you're in an irregular situation and same-sex couples can be blessed without officially validating their status or changing in any way the church's perennial teaching on marriage. That is a that is a rather a uh, tricky line to try to navigate because it would be like saying somebody who is fill in the blank with a different sin. what it it just doesn't matter. We'll use an extreme one murder. Somebody who's a murderer and continues to murder. It's okay that you bless them without actually validating their behavior. I don't know how that can be done exactly, but the Roman Catholic Church gave it a go. And one wonders, what were they really after here? Were they really trying to simply be ministerial? That if somebody approached them and said, hey... Um, We'd just like you to bless us. And it turns out, lo and behold, they're a same-sex couple. It's okay to do that. Why did they have to use that particular sin to give permission to local priests to bless somebody? Why, Why wasn't it another sin? Because of the controversy that ensued, the Decasterium Pro Doctrina Fide was just released, and I read it so you don't have to. It's kind of a beating. If you're not familiar with Roman Catholic ease, they do have a way of writing. And there's, there's sometimes when I actually appreciate it quite a bit because it is rather academic. It's a lofty theological sort of writing. It's regularly wrong, but it, it, it definitely is academic. I read through it and finally getting to section four, of the Decasterium Pro Doctrina Fide. The real novelty of the original declaration, this is quoting, that one requires a generous effort of reception, and from which no one should declare themselves excluded, is not the possibility of blessing couples in irregular situations. It is the invitation to distinguish between two different forms of blessings. Oh, I see. liturgical or ritualized, or spontaneous, or pastoral. So the rope that they're trying to (laughs) thread through the needle here is, well, no, 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 no. We we weren't saying that you should bless them like bless them. We're saying that you can bless them like bless them because there's different types of blessing. Non-ritualized blessings are not a consecration of the person nor of the couple who receives them. They're not a justification of all their actions, and they're not an endorsement of the life that they lead. So you rightly ask, well then, what exactly does that look like? That's point number five. How do these pastoral blessings present themselves in concrete terms? Here you go. To be clearly distinguished from liturgical versus ritualized blessings, pastoral blessings must above all, here it is, be very short. (laughs) Like 10 to 15 seconds. Can't be longer than 15 seconds because otherwise it becomes a different type of blessing. These are blessings lasting a few seconds without an approved ritual and without a book of blessings. Ah, So it's spontaneous, not liturgical. If two people approach together to seek the blessing, one simply asks the Lord for peace, health, and other good things for these two people who request it. Uh, here's, here's, Here's why this is a mess, because they do it with the two people coming to them. And they they're 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 lacking clarity here. Now imagine just for a second. Okay, Jimmy, pretend for a moment you're a pastor. Okay, and a same sex couple comes to you and says, "We'd like you to bless us."
4: Okay. what what would you do? What? Oh, um. So, um.
1: You'd hmm. start asking some questions. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So if they're gonna if they're gonna if if they immediately... <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question, Todd. What
1: kind of what kind of blessing do you? Cuz you're tempted, I understand why you're kind of kind of like but <laughs> well of course we'd like to bless people. That that's fine. But there can be some presentations where it signals something that that is not biblical. And I think this would be one of those scenarios. If somebody who was struggling with same-sex attraction said would you bless me? We'd probably ask some questions. Well, what is your attitude about this sin? Uh, wh- what is your attitude about Jesus? Uh, let me let me hear your testimony because what I don't want to do is bless you and give you the impression that the Bible and Jesus Christ are okay with your lifestyle. But if the individual said, oh, I I I hate my sin, I don't want to do it, I'm going through this really tough time, would you bless me? Well, I don't think most Protestant ministers would have a problem with that. But the Roman Catholic Church doesn't give any of that clarity, which is precisely the issue. The ambiguity of it, which is obvious because they released a six-page explanation of what they originally meant to say, clearly is ambiguous by design. So now, Jimmy, here is how you go about the business of blessing somebody without blessing somebody. Okay. Quote, let us imagine that among a large number making a pilgrimage, a couple of divorced people, now in a new union says to the priest, please give us a blessing. We cannot find work. He is very ill. We do not have a home and life is becoming very difficult. May God help us. You see this this is this is exactly the opposite of what a minister should do. It it it's it 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 wouldn't be about their work situation, whether they have a job or not. Get that. When somebody is living in an unrepentant lifestyle of sin, that's the issue. And to overlook that issue just for the sake of being pastoral and giving a blessing, I don't think is to be pastoral at all. So here it is. In this case, the priest can recite a simple prayer like this, quote, Lord, look at these children of yours. Well, now see, that's a problem right there. If somebody is struggling and they want out of that lifestyle, that's that's excellent. What this says is that these children of yours in an irregular situation, in other words, in a sinful configuration, you're calling them children? Now, obviously, let's be clear. Does this mean that anybody who has same-sex attractions can't be a Christian? Of course not. But it's but it's different for that one to be warring against it, fighting against it, hating it versus living in it. Back to the prayer, Lord, look at these children of yours, grant them health, work, peace, and mutual help. Free them from everything that contradicts your gospel and allow them to live according to your will, amen. I had to hurry so I was in under 15 seconds because otherwise it crosses the line. When the blessing is requested by a couple in an irregular situation, even though it is expressed outside the rites prescribed by the liturgical books, This blessing should never be imparted in concurrence with the ceremonies of a civil union and not even in connection with them, nor can it be performed with any clothing, gestures, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, or words that are proper to a wedding. The same applies when the blessing is requested by same-sex couples. It remains clear that the blessing must not take place in a prominent place within a sacred building or in front of an altar, as this would create confusion. Well, that's exactly what this has created. You be the judge. Is this a signal from the Roman Catholic Church that they are following in the footsteps of pretty much every mainline Protestant denominations? Time will tell. Time will tell. But considering the massive pressure of our fallen world, don't be surprised when it happens. This is Wretched Radio. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty, and I asked and it said in, in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what, what's the, what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats. per month.
4: Hey, thanks so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. We certainly appreciate each and every one of you who tune in on a daily basis. And we thank all of our gospel partners. We thank you for an amazing 2023, an amazing 2022, 2021, 2020, and all of the years prior. But hey, 2024 is going to be our biggest and best year yet and we have some amazing announcements we're not quite yet ready to make that will impact so much about this ministry and the amount of people that we are able to reach so if you would like to become an ongoing monthly gospel partner if you've been thinking about it you've been praying about it we would love for you to join us in this effort right now you can get all the answers to all of the questions that you likely have right now at wretched.org slash donate that's wretched.org slash donate donate. 2024 is here, folks, and it is going to be the biggest and best and most wretched year yet. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel.
3: I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms
1: In the womb when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat. Would you please consider supporting Preborn? It's a great ministry of life. It has a high anthropology, shares the gospel with women and with the dads. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history.
0: 1910 to 1915. The Fundamentals are published and demonstrate the great divide in American Christianity known as the Modernist Fundamentalist Controversy. Fundamentalists began to set themselves apart from society as a witness for Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
1: Hmm. One wonders where Dr. John MacArthur stands on the office of the Roman Catholic Papacy. Not.
2: I think probably the papacy is the biggest hoax ever foisted upon the world in the name of Christianity. Hmm.
1: One scratches his head. This is Ratchet Radio. If and you ever want to see Dr. John MacArthur exercised, uh, not exercising, like, you know, running around a track, but rather agitated, bring up the subject of the office of the papacy, and he gets downright indignant, a.k.a righteously angry this
2: is an arrogant idolatry it's an arrogant arrogant idolatry a horrible thing as jc ryle said a gigantic system of church worship sacrament worship mary worship saint worship image worship relic worship priest worship and pope worship a huge organized idolatry
1: john jimmy you i almost called you johnny jimmy <laughs> yes <laughs> Do you think anybody calls John MacArthur Johnny? Probably his, maybe his wife, his his relatives. I don't know that anybody else does. Are you picking up what he's laying down here? Because it seems a little bit fuzzy. Yeah, I think I got it. All righty. It
2: seduces. It's satanic. True church has nothing to do with it. It is Christless. The head of the church, as I said to you a couple of weeks ago when we were going through this to start with, is none other than Christ. Colossians one eighteen. he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So hey, I was saying nice this morning, that diminish Christ and you lift up the ministers. Exalt Christ and the ministers disappear.
1: This is a Wretched Radio. Johnny, you've Sorry. Jimmy, you've had some time to. By the way, Jimmy, uh-huh. I can't wait for, for mailbag day. Why? I received an email with a question about you. Uh oh. Mr. Friel, the, this question is for Jimmy. How did you get the radio nickname of Handsome Jimmy Hicks? <laughs> Was it bestowed upon you? Did you select it? Did not. <laughs> The kids and I listened to some old episodes recently and in one of them your your radio name came up. The kids had questions and we want answers. <laughs> I've got got them. What is it?
4: How did Oh you, you want to know now? Yeah. I thought you wanted to wait for mailbag. Okay. So no, uh um, I can't wait for mailbag. <laughs> so uh it's actually a um, handsome Jimmy was an old professional wrestler. Um Handsome Jimmy Valiant was his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wrestled in Memphis uh, a lot, and so um, that my middle school football coach Steve Zerhellen gave me that name when I was in middle school, and it stuck.
1: Wow.
4: Yep, it stuck all of those years. And then when I got into radio, my first boss says, "You got to have a name," and I thought, "Well, this, I've got one." <laughs>
1: oh, No. Yep, that was it. That's so. How exactly did you overcome the hurdle of actually saying it out loud? loud, Out loud? Because Hey, I'm handsome, Todd Friel. That, see that? Oh, yeah, but that oh.
4: You have to believe it. <laughs> and I believe it. I am the most
1: handsome guy on the radio. That. <laughs> with a face, of course. <laughs> made. For Ray That's right. Leo. Dr. John MacArthur, he ain't all that happy about the Roman Catholic papacy, and there are a lot of people who are Roman Catholics who ain't all that happy with the Roman Catholic Pope. Recently, the explosion was over a document that was disclosed, presented, allowing local priests to bless people in irregular unions, same sex couples. Jimmy? You've had a couple of moments to ponder. If you were Mm -hmm. a pastor and a same-sex couple approached you, what would you say to them?
4: I think the first thing I want to know is why. Why? Why do you want me as a pastor to bless this union? Because as a pastor, you should know how I feel about it. You know, I think
1: it's a it's a great question. mm -hmm. Why are you? If if you're living in a rebellious lifestyle. Why are you asking me, somebody who says, God is opposed to your lifestyle, would you, would you want a blessing from me? I think that's a great question. And I think what this kind of boils down to is I, I think that the, the ambiguity was by design. It, it It's to crack the door open and just to keep pushing it further and further toward just the floodgates opening up. But I think that the... The pastoral nature of an interaction with somebody living in a lifestyle of sin is completely missed here. You're you're jumping over the bigger problem. Somebody presents themselves to you living in such a way that indicates. Now, remember, this is not an individual with SSA who is saying, I war against it. I remain celibate from it. I don't even let the thoughts arrive inside of my brain because even that would be a sin. Well, then you you could bless that person. Of course, like any sinner, you could bless the individual who's a professing Christian who's warring against the sin. But to just hopscotch over what their actual attitude is about their sin, and if they're living in a lifestyle of sin, is to really overlook Christian concern and what a pastor should be engaging in, the status of their soul. It's like, okay, you're a pastor and you're visiting somebody on death row. They've apparently committed a crime that is so egregious that even our secular government said, all right, you got to surrender your life. That's it. You, you have forfeited your privilege of living on this planet because of your behavior. And you visit them in the cell. So tell me, are you sorry for what you did? Nope. Hmm. Would you do it again? Absolutely. In fact, I'm even trying to figure out a way to do it again on my way to the chair. Would you bless me? Um, would you, uh, well, see, that would be a problem. <laughs> now. Where this does get a little bit on the funky side, I grant you, is here's a question. If somebody that you were witnessing to asked you for a blessing, would you bless them? And I think the answer is I would with an explanation. You know what? I'm happy to do that. But please note, just because I'm asking the true and living God to be kind to you regarding this issue, that doesn't mean that you're in a right relationship with that God. Having said that, may the Lord bless you. I I So it doesn't mean that we want to be stingy with blessings, but I think this Roman Catholic fiducia supplicans, whatever it was called, uh, just totally misses the point, overlooks the more important issue sin, unrepentant sin. Not to mention, it is. So confusing. So a number of Roman Catholic bishops, they're squawking, they're complaining. One of them was in Italy. We've got ourselves a modern-day Savonarola. This fellow who's a priest in Tuscany, must be a tough gig, (laughs) called the Pope a Jesuit Freemason linked to world powers, an anti-Pope usurper, using his former name, Mr. Bergoglio to undermine his papal status. Are you familiar with Savonarola? He predated Martin Luther. This was a fellow who was a Roman Catholic priest in Rome who was an eyewitness to what was happening in the Vatican. And he wrote scathingly about the papacy because he saw the brothel that the Vatican had become. I, I, I believe that he wrote something Oh, I think this was attributed to him, that I'm going to open up the door and a floodgate of filth will come pouring out. Well, for criticizing the Roman Catholic Church, Savonarola was threatened with execution. He recanted, then took back his recantation, and they killed him. This Tuscan priest today has simply been excommunicated. There's a conservative Roman Catholic priest in Texas, maybe somewhere in Texas. It's not that big of a place. You can find him where he's been speaking out about the Pope too. Well, he got, if I recall, his punishment was that he was stripped of his apartment that the church was paying for. I don't know if he got excommunicated too, but as has been historically the case, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't take all that kindly to criticism, ask one Martin Luther. He was hunted down by the Roman Catholic Church. By the way, speaking of Roman Catholics, <laughs> Chris Christie is a Roman Catholic. I bring this up because I actually think that it is another sign. Of things to come. Bishop Strickland, Roman Catholic Bishop Strickland, calls Chris Christie's changing gay marriage views a compromise with sin. Chris Christie, running for president, if you didn't know, said, hey, I used to be opposed to it, but society has changed, and we're different now, so I'm okay with it. And whether he's Roman Catholic or not, I think we should anticipate that that's going to be the trend Regarding the life issue, I keep hearing what are supposed to be conservative Republicans talking about the life issue in terms of weeks. We got to figure out the weeks. I'm hearing it regularly. That means, uh oh, for babies. And when somebody like Chris Christie, a Roman Catholic, now is changing his views on marriage because he probably believes he doesn't have a chance, which he doesn't, doesn't have a chance of winning unless he changes his views. Unfortunately, I think we can expect more of that. This is Wretched Radio.
4: And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio, I'm Jimmy Hicks. We start today with alarming revelations that radical transgender activists are actually steering controversial new food guidelines that regard child transitioning. Researchers show nearly half the steering group members pushing puberty blockers and hormones have glaring conflicts of interest. Several run gender clinics profiting from dysphoric kids while lacking scientific credentials themselves, yet they're the ones that are dictating global health policy but it's based on political agenda, not medical ethics. Oh, how par for the course. And up in Canada, a new federal report finds that most citizens actually oppose Justin Trudeau's online censorship bill in the name of combating hate speech. The survey shows nearly 60% recognize the dangers of government policing free expression. Just over half believe Big Tech already suppresses particular viewpoints and only a third support expanding definitions of illegal content. And let's pray that the reasonable majority actually speaks up against those who are weaponizing tolerance to control thought. In Europe, campus radicals have banned a pro-life student group in Germany citing so-called misogynistic activity. University officials excluded the nonviolent anti-abortion club for showing graphic visuals and using terms like unborn child. Their crime? Well, it's challenging the progressive orthodoxy that indoctrinates the youth. Just more evidence that mainstream academia prizes ideology over reasoned debate. And speaking of ideological bloat, the University of Michigan, yes, they are now the national football champions, but they also employ an estimated 500 diversity staff pulling in nearly $30 million annually from actual education. Not just the football team is winning at the University of Michigan. DEI also seems to be profitable. Finally today, Islamic terrorists have slaughtered more than 50 Christians in Nigeria this week in a string of attacks targeting villages. first raid left 14 dead, followed by 41 killed days later. And as we tell you so frequently, please make sure that you're continuing to pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks
0: books of the Bible. Lamentations is a book of poems written by Jeremiah after the fall of Jerusalem. They are marked by weeping, woes, and affliction. But even in sorrow, Jeremiah praises God. He proclaims God's justice, cries out to God for mercy, and confesses his faith in God. Lamentations teaches us a godly way to express sorrow and grow in the midst of loss. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. All
1: I can say is you're welcome. This is Wretched Radio. Believe me, you're going to thank me when I announce I read Christianity Today so you don't have to. I read Christianity <laughs> Today so you don't have to. Thank you, Todd. You're welcome, Jimmy. <laughs> this particular episode, I, I would say, was is not as bad as the first one that i saw a few months ago uh, i think i think a lot of the articles are just way too long and they just all have that shading of 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 a more liberal evangelicalism the middle road evangelicalism in the worst sense of the term this particular episode not quite so bad just one wonders who reads like a 10 page article on something as Mundane as the contents of this particular magazine. Now, let me share with you what I deem to be the highlights of this particular book, starting with the percentage of Southern Baptist churches where someone in the congregation can play an instrument well. I was intrigued because I think instrumentation is actually very important, because I happen to be of the opinion that music should match the message. That music, the the non lyrical side of music, it should sound like the subject matter about which we are focusing. And when it doesn't do that, well, okay, I don't think that suddenly the the church building is going to collapse on your head, but I just don't think we're being as thoughtful as we should be when it comes to worship. Now, this might surprise you. A band. No, sorry. Banjo, (laughs) a banjo, 18% of Southern Baptist churches. Look, if that's the instrument that you've got to worship the Lord, use it. Just make sure that you play the banjo in such a way that it sounds like you're singing about God. And I don't care what that instrument is. We are singing to, we are presenting an offering to the creator and sustainer of the universe. It should be lofty. So play the banjo as loftily as you can. Trombone, 11%. Drums, 60%. That doesn't surprise me. This one's, this is number two. Guitar, 77%. Piano is the popular instrument, 83%, 33% violin, and tragically, Only 20% of people can play the organ, which is, of course, God's ordained instrument for worship. This is a subject that I really wish, not all, a lot of churches are trying, but that more churches would at least consider recognizing that there's liberty in the subject, recognizing that I can't impose my preferences on you and vice versa, But that when somebody walks into a church, they would not only see people that are different, hear messages that are convicting, and fall down and get saved, but they would hear the music and go, this is otherly. This is not common. And by the way, if you're one of those people who's still holding on to the rumor that Martin Luther wrote bar songs as in tavern songs. Um, no, the word bar is a musical term, a bar of music. thats He wasn't writing tavern songs, drinking songs, and Christianizing them. He wrote super lofty music. In fact, on Sunday at Alpharetta Bible Church, we sang A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. And by the way, Jimmy, I've been experiencing something that we've talked about here before, the minister who takes the time to prepare a sermon is saturated in scripture and grows. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that a lot. Mm -hmm. I've been feeling that lately because this is now I think week number four, we're making our way through the gospel of Matthew. Usually I'm a guest preacher. For the start of this particular church, I've been tasked with the first five months of preaching through the gospel of Matthew. That means I'm thinking about Matthew all the time. And it's different than my typical daily experience here at Wretched Radio where I'm, I, yes, I'm baked in this stuff all the time. But it's, 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 not, a, it's not a constant baking on the same subject. It's, it's a wide variety of subjects. Currently, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book on how to integrate your Christian faith into your Christian life. Simultaneously, just finished up a lengthier treatment on the subject of pornography and how to have victory over it. Working on the discernment resource that we're going to be doing with Justin Peters, who's going to be coming into town in February. Uh, we're going to deliver 13 lectures on discernment. Okay, so I'm, do, I'm doing theological stuff all the time but i'm telling you it's different than focusing on one book of the bible constantly it is it's just always floating in your brain and you you sorry you feel it affect you you just you just and and you and you are also feeling the weight of it and i bring this up because Increasingly, especially with the AI business, more and more pastors are not going to be doing the sermon prep that they should. They're, the cheats are everywhere. You can buy sermons, you can Google them, you can find obscure stuff, you can put it into, you could ask AI, hey AI, write me a sermon on John the Baptist. Boink, there it is. And with that, you're not going to grow. I'm telling you, Pastor. Immerse yourself in a book of the Bible, one book at a time, and it will affect you. And the good news is, your congregation will be blessed. Was it? Oh uh, no, it was. Uh, it wasn't J.C. Ryle. It was uh, Robert Murray McShane. The greatest need for my people is the godliness of the pastor. That's that's true, pastor. Keep your nose to the grindstone, and it is a grindstone. It 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 is it is something that keeps you shackled to your desk and cuts into your discretionary free time. But it's so good for you. By the way, Jimmy, mm-hmm. did you know that there are hymns about John the Baptist? Really? Mm-hmm. Go ahead and Google okay. him on John the Baptist and and see what you discover, uh, because that's our sermon text for next Sunday: the ministry of John the Baptist and what type of a man he was, and that I believe we do well to examine how he went about the business of being simultaneously bold and humble. That ain't no easy concoction to stir together, is it? That you are simultaneously willing to call people to repentance, to speak boldly into institutions that are behaving sinfully and harming people while simultaneously being humble. John the Baptist was that man. Jimmy, you find the hymns on John the Baptist. I think so. All right, what do you read one? Read one for.
4: Uh, well, I have a list of. Go tell you the Baptist what Jesus has done.
1: Okay, give uh, me another one.
4: Uh, the comfort, comfort ye my people. Jesus was prophet of the Lord.
1: Wait, now what do those have to do with John John the Baptist? I don't know. This is comfort, just comfort, comfort a- ye my people, speak ye to Jerusalem. Uh, that. that uh, yeah. well, I guess maybe the forerunner might be in there yeah. somehow. But I've seen actual hymns, because well, I'm putting the service together, uh, that, that are literally about John the Baptist. Because we used to write hymns that sang about more than, oh, yeah, I'm feeling the flowing. I know where I'm going, and even though it's snowing. You're mowing the lawn for me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Back to Christianity today, almost. Uh, From Billboard Magazine Christian music is missing out on the booming Christmas market. I think I mentioned this in passing a few days ago, but I think it's worth noting that the most popular Christmas song belongs to Mariah Carey. (laughs) That's right. Mariah Carey, what what is the name of that? Merry Christmas, baby, or all I want for Christmas is you. Terrific. The top 50, no, 100 holiday tracks. Nothing Christian. Nothing about Jesus. And speaking of worship music from uh, TrinityFI.org, the business of church music. Ultimate Guitar reports that almost $600 million is spent annually on audio equipment and instruments for performing church music. (laughs) What? In six years, Bethel Music. Mm Mm-hmm. The tip of the spear, the music ministry of Bill Johnson's megachurch, Bethel, Redding, generated $80 million in revenue. Worship music is a cash cow. That's why you see these mega churches promoting it. They spend a great deal of effort and money because it makes a great deal of money for them. Hillsong has reportedly sold more than 20 million albums. Don't forget about all the ticket sales. Stephen Furtick has 229 credit listings as a composer and producer. Louis Giglio, 605. TD Jakes, 289. It's good to be in the worship music business. This is Wretched Radio. Well,
4: 2024 is a crucial election year. The sanctity of life is at the forefront. And while we do celebrate the overturning of Roe, we cannot ignore the surge of pro-choice voices. They are persuasive, but we can and should be more convincing. We have to stand firm, not only in our beliefs, but also in the understanding of the gospel to change hearts and minds. Pro-choice advocates rally voters with misleading arguments. And as Christians, it is our duty to counter these narratives with truth and compassion. Remember, this is not only about politics. It's about protecting the lives of the unborn. The debate has shifted to when instead of should and now it's time to refocus this conversation. Equip your family and your church with Life is Best, a 13-lesson series that's not just powerful but a call to action. Order your free digital download and streaming version from the Wretched Store right now. It's available for free during the month of January. You have until January 31st and we together can make a difference
1: so you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches internationally well then we'll let paul washer convince you
2: you have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word when we support a man coming out of TMAI we know not only that he is properly trained
1: but we know that he will still be
2: supervised
1: would you please join TMAI the master's academy international in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe? It's a magnificent ministry and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor.
4: Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Have you ever felt like you're on an emotional roller coaster? it's okay to admit it because we've all been there and some of us are there now. Well, saddle up, buckle up, strap up, whatever it is you prefer. Just tune in to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. It's the podcast you quite possibly have been waiting for because it's the place where anxiety, loneliness, depression, and fear come face to face with the Bible. And don't expect Dr. Gifford to just read scripture. No, he wrestles with it and applies it to challenges we all face. Trust me, this podcast, it's a game changer and it must be for me to say game changer because i loathe that phrase but that's exactly what transformed with dr greg gifford is it'll help you and it will empower you to help others too you'll be throwing out biblical wisdom like you're in solomon's court new episodes they drop every saturday morning at transform.org podcast or wherever you usually listen to podcasts trust me you'll be glad you listened
0: (laughs) Mexican. There are many words to help us understand the nature of the Bible. Words like census literalis. The Bible is to be read in the literal sense, the way the author and original audience would have understood it. There is no code, no secret meaning to be uncovered. The Bible is plainly written so that all people can know God through its pages. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
1: A hymn not to, but... About John the Baptist. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, I did some Googling to discover there are actually a lot of hymns about John the Baptist, starting with John was the prophet of the Lord. John was the prophet of the Lord to go before his face, the herald which the Prince of Peace sent to prepare his ways. Verse 2 Behold, the Lamb of God, he cries, that takes our guilt away. I saw the Spirit or his head on his baptizing day." Jimmy, yes? we don't have anything in contemporary music that comes even close to singing about something other than God's warm ooey gooey love. No. that's There are other things to sing about that can help you actually love the Savior. That's the whole point. A hymn should help you to love the Savior. It shouldn't emote you because those things are so fleeting. was just working on the idea of, of, a, of contemplative Christianity. It has quite a tradition, and obviously there are some distinctions between the proponents of a contemplative Christianity. But you have the Desert Fathers, uh, the, the St. Teresa of Avia. These were the mystics that, that would you know basically empty their brains to be in communion with God. It basically, and and that trend it has not ended today. We see it all the time: lectio divina, uh, the the deeper life of Watchman Nee, the, the 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 contemplative practices that I think I think Christian yoga. If if you're actually doing Christian mindfulness, oxymoron. Anyone? These are all forms of contemplative Christianity. But I also think. You wouldn't classify it as contemplative Christianity per se, but it has aspects and it's and it's the same mindset behind it. The question is, how does a Christian go about the business of being about the lord's business twenty four seven and i think I think the mistake that so many of these groups have made, whether it's the mystics, whether it's the monastics, whether it's the contemplatives the Amish. I think the mistake is that we try to, we think that in order to be a Christian, you always need to be thinking about the Bible, about the Lord. Now, is there anything better to think about? The answer is no. Does this mean that we should not make the effort to discipline ourselves to be as mindful, sorry for that term, mindful about the Lord as possible? Of course we should be, but that doesn't mean when you are not specifically thinking about God, you're not being a good Christian. We consider a soldier in the military. The soldier isn't constantly thinking about the commander-in-chief He's not constantly thinking about the general or whoever his captain is. But as he makes his bed, as he sweeps the floor, he's being faithful as a soldier. So are you. Which is why the Christian life is 24-7 Christian. It just is. Now, where some people, I think, get confused is, well, in those moments when I'm not actually praying or thinking about the Lord or a Bible verse, I'm not being Christian. That's just that's just not biblical. You are, and this is not license for laziness. But this is the reality, and to overlook it, I think, is to fall into the ditch of the contemplatives or the mystics or the monastics. I'm, I'm just thinking spiritual heavenly thoughts. Well, you got to eat, you got to make food, you got to do your chores, you got to help your kids with the math. It's impractical to be constantly, even as I'm doing, okay, I'm going to talk about this cup of water. Oops, I wasn't thinking about the living water when I was looking at this cup of water. So I guess I was sinning. You, you, can't, you can't do that. Again, please don't hear. Well, then, I don't need to think about the Lord. That's the exact opposite of the way that we should be thinking. That should be our desire. But in the meantime, as you carry out your assignments for Him, if you are not being wholly contemplative at the moment, it doesn't mean you're sinning. One of the splinter groups of contemplative Christianity, I think we could rightly identify as being NAR worship. The, the new apostolic Reformation-style music that we're seeing that's coming out of Bethel, it's coming out of Hillsong, it's coming out of Elevation Church. It is a mindless sort of repetitious, get you to just empty your brain so that you can be communing with the Lord. And what's behind this movement, I think, is so harmful to people. They believe that they've got to have people come to church because their tank is low and they're going to fill it up with feelings that hopefully take them to next week's worship service. And then they they get to, maybe they're just at a quarter of a tank, but we'll fill them up and off they go. And it'll just go, because without worship, uh, there's there's no way that they can be living like a Christian and thinking about the Lord. It's, it's contemplative in the sense that it is their effort to try to get people uh, to be feeling like a christian and it's dangerous because first of all it it requires incessant whipping up of the emotions and that means the worship services need to get more and more mystical more and more moving The lights need to get dimmer, the synthesizers need to get louder, and the emotive groanings need to be more intense uh, because you got to keep whipping it up for people. The other reason that it doesn't work is because the contents of the lyrics themselves don't do anything for anybody. Don't believe me? Then believe Clint Eastwood, who was recently hired to record... Some contemporary worship. You guys just want me to read some hymns?
3: Oh, these are better than hymns. Way more inspiring and relevant. Oh, I feel like dancing. It's foolishness, I know. But when the world has seen the light, they will dance with joy like we're dancing now. Yeah. This is a religious song? Yeah. About God. Yes. The Bible God. That's the one. Ugh. In the secret, in the quiet hour, I wait only for you, because I want to know you more. I want to touch you. I want to see your face. So you're telling me that people sing this stuff in church? Yeah. Men sing this in church. Well, usually just the guy in the praise band sings it. Everyone else just puts their hands up in the air and sways to Mm -hmm. the soothing soft rock rhythm like they're at a Phil Collins show in 1986. Well, that sounds about right. Freedom, 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 freedom. freedom. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace for I am yours and you are mine. You sure I got the right words here? Because this doesn't much sound like church music to me. Mm -hmm. What does it sound like? Like what would happen if my six-year-old granddaughter married a care bear and they wrote their own wedding vows. (laughs) Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes. This is worse than the script for pink Cadillac. All right, next song. Uh, what's the matter, Clint? Well, I guess I'm just a bit confused. This Christian music doesn't really talk about grace or forgiveness in any meaningful way. In fact, a lot of it doesn't even mention Christ by name. Right, so what's the problem? Well, since Paul says in Colossians 3.16 that the purpose of sacred music is to teach people who Jesus is and what he's done for us, you'd think that people who write sacred music today might at least want to name drop the Son of God into one of their little ditties. (laughs) Yeah, you'd think that, but no.
1: Uh (laughs) You know, sometimes having Clint Eastwood read lyrics brings about a great deal of clarity and illumination, doesn't it? When Clint Eastwood understands that music about our God should actually be music about our God... We should get that point, shouldn't we? We 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 think that we're doing somebody a favor by whipping them into a frenzy, and we're absolutely not. Perhaps, maybe, possibly, a challenge to all of us. While you don't have to write a hymn about John the Baptist, um, you know we used to, and they used to actually be pointing toward Jesus. Even when we're writing about John the Baptist. Future because it's pretty much the same chord progression.
3: Dude, why are you making fun of all our songs? Well, maybe it's because I don't much care for it when Christians toss their greatest musical treasures in the garbage in order to sing a bunch of Josh Groben knockoff, barely religious cheeseball ballads for soccer moms. What, you know something better? Well, how about this? Now I will cling forever to Christ, my Savior true. My Lord will leave me never. Whatever, whatever he passes through, he rends death's iron chain, he breaks through sin and pain, he shatters hell's dark thrall, I follow him through all. Dude, that was awesome. Can we record that with the band? Mm -hmm. Are they any good? Oh, we've got the best praise band in the state. These guys can play anything. All right, let them know the song has three sharps and seven chords. (laughs) Yeah, okay, well never mind then,
1: Mozart. (laughs) pastor what music are you picking for your people music writer what type of lyrics are you writing about jesus until tomorrow go serve your king